Take your Bibles now, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 19 through 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19 through 23. Speaking on the subject, uh, everyone everywhere still, this week looking specifically, any way you can. Any way you can. We, we've learned a little bit about what it is we're to be about. Now we're asking, how are we to do this task? How are we to accomplish this mission? And the easy answer I think Paul would give you would be this, any way you can. Any way you can, let's be about reaching everyone everywhere with the gospel. So if you've got your Bibles open, or some of you have your Bibles turned on, um, to uh, maybe if you've got the version app or something like that that allows you to follow in whatever translation I happen to be preaching from, which is the New King James Version this morning. Uh, I say that also to let you know we do have Wi-Fi in this building now. So if you turn your Bible on, be sure you turn your notifications off uh, now that we've got Wi-Fi inside of this metal building here. So I um, uh, just wanted to make you aware of that and also parents that you wouldn't be upset with your kids using their Bible out and thinking they're over here playing video games, right? All right, let's, uh, let's read. 19 through 23, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews, to those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law, to those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without the law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. Father, we thank you for Paul's mission, for the passion that he embraced that mission with, and for the fact that you have preserved the inspired and errant authoritative Word of God to be our God for the task as well. We thank you for that and ask your Holy Spirit to both guide us and empower us to live what we hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Everywhere, everyone, everywhere, any way you can. You know, we're talking about strategy today. And that almost sounds like an unspiritual term. We think of strategy in the business world. If uh, you have a business, then you want to have a strategy to produce some kind of product. You want to have a strategy to staff, to employee the business. You want to have a strategy in that business to market the business, to make it known what it is that you are trying to sell or trying to accomplish. We have strategies in sports. If a football team is getting ready to play another team and they are aware of the personnel that they're coming up against, then they want to have a strategy, a way in which they know what the goal is, they know what the task is, win the game, and usually that means winning the game by scoring points. But you have to have a strategy. How are we going to do that? What plays can we design? What, what plays can we run in order to score? And how can we uh, have a defensive strategy that will prevent the other team? Uh, but we also bring in strategies to parenting, don't we? And some of you are saying, no, parenting is that any which way you can, right? Any way you can do it, you, you just try to survive parenthood. But, but most of us at least spend some time thinking strategy. How can we train up our children to know, love, and serve God in this world? And so we have various parenting strategies. I remember Tim uh, Kimmel speaking on parenting one time. He said when he had his first kid... It was not that hard. They could double-team. 
He said, after the second one, we decided to play uh, uh, man-to-man defense. With the third one, we, went, we had to drop back into a prevent defense. He said, uh, and I think they had several. He said, after that, it was just, uh, it was, it was stay back and play prevent defense the rest of our life. Or maybe they went from a zone to a prevent. So parenting has a strategy. Everything we do in life, we have a strategy. And when it comes to the gospel, reaching everyone everywhere, we want to have a strategy. And the strategy, I think, that is summarized by the Apostle Paul is, any way you can do it. As a matter of fact, the late D.L. Moody once was uh, uh, seeking to win people to Christ through his evangelism crusades, through his personal evangelism, one-on-one sharing his faith, one-on-one sharing the gospel. And uh, a lady came to Dr. Moody and said, I don't like your method. And he said, well, ma'am, what is your method? What's your method for reaching people with the gospel? And she said, well, I don't really have a method. And he said, well, ma'am, until you have a method, I like my method a lot better than I like your method. See, we need to have a method. We need to have a strategy. And we'll be able to spend some more weeks talking about specific uh, tools that we can use in this strategy. But I want us to, first of all, uh, open up our hearts and minds and eyes to the fact that the Apostle Paul was passionate about the gospel to the nations. He was commissioned by the church at Antioch. He was able most of the time to be a full-time itinerant evangelist. And in this chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he is stating a case for full-time ministry, for there to be those who were, in his case, itinerant ministry that would, as an apostle, travel the, the known world, as a missionary, go out under full support of the church. But he was also explaining, hey, if I need to go into an area and work a job, in order to plant a church, until that church can support the leadership there, I will do whatever it takes to reach people with the gospel. I say that to say this. Not everybody here will be called into full-time ministry. But everybody, under the sound of my voice, once you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, every one of you are called to be ministers. You may not do that vocationally. And I thank God that not only I, but the associate pastor here, Pastor Ben, and and other staff are paid in order to be freed up to do this vocationally. But don't think for a moment that we're the only ministers in this church. And so the Apostle Paul could identify with anyone and everyone because of the different situations he had experienced in life. Every Christian everywhere is called to reach everyone. We're the light of the world, Jesus said. We're the light of the world. And we're to let our light shine. The Trinity family is strategically positioned, I believe, both in the location of our campus, and that's what this is. The church is you and me. The church is the body of Christ. We have a a church campus, if you will, where we gather. I believe we're strategically positioned when we gather, but I believe we are even more strategically positioned when we are off campus to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so how do we go about this when we are scattered? And we've, we've got the what and the why over the past few weeks. We know what we're to do, reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And why we're to do it, we've been commissioned to do that because uh, eternity is long, heaven is, is sweet, and hell is separation from God forever. And, and Jesus offers eternal life and abundant life here and now. But how do we go about this? And I, I want to grasp three principles we learned from this text this morning. And the first one is simply this. We increase our influence with a servant's heart. 
We increase our influence in this world with a servant's heart. Look what the Apostle Paul is saying here in his desire to, to be all things for all people. He says, I'm a servant. Verse 19, though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all. Now, we must win them as an audience before we can win them to Christ. You say, why is that? Well, that's because Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And if faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, that means we must win their hearing before we can win them to Christ. And we win their hearing as the Apostle Paul won the hearing of his audience with a servant's heart. He was a servant to all in order to win an audience. Before we become too critical, and maybe I'm only preaching to myself this morning, but before we become too critical or too cocky toward those with, with bleeding hearts for the hurting, those who are about servant evangelism, Let's remember the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 11 when they were arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. He says, listen, if you want to be really great, then you must become the servant of all. You, you, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you've got to have a servant's heart. See, leadership is about influence. And the way we earn the opportunity to influence someone is through serving them. In 1997, Devotion in Our Daily Bread told the story of a lady who came to the White House to visit President Lincoln. And Lincoln had been so busy and he had had so many demands and, and, and was under so much stress, very few people were able to get an audience with the President, especially when it was unplanned and unannounced. But this lady was allowed in because she was bringing what she had heard were his favorite cookies. She was an elderly lady. She gained an audience with the President of the United States. And Lincoln, the, the story says, with a tear in his eye, explained to her that everybody else who demanded his attention had something they wanted to ask of him. But he allowed her to come in because she was not coming to ask something of him. She was coming to serve him. And when we're willing to serve people, and love people and reach out to people, we will earn the opportunity to influence people for the glory of God. That's why we had planned yesterday, and we have rescheduled it to June the 8th, to get out into this community and to offer something, to give something away. As I said, we don't want to be the church out there asking for the world to help us out. We want to be the church, God's representation, out there being a blessing and ministering to this world which we serve. There's a natural element to all of this. It's kind of the, the firm grasp on the obvious. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. And so as the church, we've got to get out there and show people that we really do care about what's going on in their life. And we can do that with special events corporately as a church from time to time, but we do that best when you at your school, in your workplace in your neighborhood, are loving and serving those people who are around you, letting them know that you care what's going on. Millions are wondering, does God care? Does God love me? Students that you go to school with, is there anybody who really cares? Does, does anybody really care what I'm going through? Does anybody really care that my, maybe my parents are, are going through a divorce? And Is anybody going to share something with me that makes a different, 
difference in my life? Does anybody care that I'm, I'm tempted to go to uh, this party and, and, and engage in alcoholic drinking or other uh, immoral activities? Does anybody care about what I'm going through in life? And, and you have been. Those of you who are in, in school are positioned strategically by God to be a witness in that environment and in your workplace, wherever you work, whatever your vocation is, or if you're a homemaker in that home and in that community, in that neighborhood, God has strategically positioned you to show the people around you that the body of Christ loves and and cares about people. And so people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And then a servant's heart also inspires others more than a spirit of obligation. As a matter of fact, when you get involved in missions and ministry out of a sense of obligation, you almost get mad at everybody else who's not involved in it. And sometimes even those of us in ministry, we will try to manipulate and intimidate and say, come on, don't you care? Let's get busy reaching people. But when you do it with a servant's heart, when you say, listen, I'm going, I'm going to the Dominican Republic because I care about people. I'm... I'm doing this project in my neighborhood because I care about people. When you do it with a servant's heart, and love overflows from a a full heart with the Spirit of God and and the Spirit of Christ flowing through you, then others find that attractive and they find that contagious, not only those to whom you're trying to witness, but those that you're trying to get to help you. They say, you know that, he makes ministry look fun. I want to do it too. I want to go too. I want to be a part of that also. Not have a sense of obligation in verse 19. Paul says, I'm free from all that. I'm I'm free from that. I don't have to do it. I want to do it. God changes our want-tos when we're full of Jesus. This points to the the tension and the controversy of something that is often discussed in theological circles, and that's felt-needs ministry. Some have argued that we need to avoid felt-needs ministry because most people don't feel their most important and and deepest needs. And and so there's argument that that kind of goes back and forth between the those who might be the 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 theological liberals and the progressives today. They're not so concerned about the word of God. They would say, listen, we need to go to Haiti and give tuberculosis shots and, and we need to go to other places and minister to needs. We need to go to Africa and feed the hungry and we need to to give out school supplies in our own backyard. We need to meet the felt needs of the people. And those who come from a more liberal and and progressive theological standpoint will say, we need to do that, but let's not bother them with the Scriptures. Let's not bother them with with what the Bible says. Let's not worry about telling them that Jesus loves them. And certainly, let's not go so far as to be as politically correct as to say, there are many ways to God, we just need to love people. And so that's one end of the spectrum. On the other end, however, those, in, and I might be more tempted to be a part of this group, that believe that the Bible is the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God, and the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it's felt or not, is the greatest need people will have. Sometimes we will say, let's not get all caught up in felt needs ministry. Let's preach the gospel. Let's take them the Word of God. Whether they feel the need or not, it's kind of like the kid who's got to take that medicine and we're, we're fighting with them. They don't want to take it. They don't like the taste of it. And we say, you're going to take this, whether you like it or not. And we try to shove it down their throat. There's, sometimes we take the, that approach with the gospel. And you might say, well, wow, I don't know if I really like either of those approaches. The fact is, I like both. 
Here's, here's the thing. Jesus met felt needs in order to gain an audience to share the answer to the greatest need, and that's the Word of God. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not an either-or approach. It's a both-and approach. Both are necessary. We need to serve people out of it with a servant's heart, care for their basic needs in life. Jesus speaks of water to the woman at the well. He speaks of food when He feeds the 5,000. Jesus touched people to bring healing. But in the context of all of that, He said the greatest need that they have is that their sins be forgiven. And so we meet felt needs. We share the love of Christ in very tangible ways so that we gain an audience. But when we gain that audience, we don't water down the gospel. We say, here is your greatest need. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ who can forgive your sins and cleanse you and make you a brand new person. It's not an either or, it's both in. A servant's heart will grasp that and it will open opportunities to share the gospel. Second principle I want you to see in this text is we increase our investment with a flexible approach. We increase our investment with a flexible approach. We might say we diversify, for those of you who like to speak of investing. He uses the word win. He says, I'm doing this, I want to win the Jew. And then he uses the word win again. I want to, to, to win those who are without the law. I want to win the weak. Some translations use the word gain. And the word gain may actually be a better word here because the word in the Greek means to profit from investment. It means if I'm going to make an investment, I want to profit from that investment. So what the Apostle Paul was saying here is I'm doing all of these things in order to profit from my investment. I want some return on my time, return on my investment. And those of you who, who think about uh, investing in stocks, I remember, it's, I don't worry about all of this too much. I don't really have anything to invest. But the uh, time that I spoke with the folks with the uh, Annuity Board of Southern Baptist Convention, and I said, well, what little bit of retirement I've got, I want to be sure that it's in the right place. And they said, well, and I loved the way that they said this. They said, you're a young man. You've got time to be a little bit more diversified. We can put it in some different areas, and we'll have this much in a little safe and this a little more risky area and, and things like that. And I said, hey, if you've got a one-size-fits-all plan, just put it there, and, and uh, that, that kind of fits my age and that sort of thing. And uh, he said, you, you just need, you, you plan it too safe. You need to put it in a little bit more diverse areas. I, I just kind of like, well, God knows all that. God's, God, God holds me in the palm of his hand. He's going to take care of me. I'm not worried about that. But for somebody who is a serious investor, they would take, diversifying very seriously to create better odds for them with results. And that's kind of the language that Paul is using here. In verse 20, he begins to explain he wanted to, to invest in the religious crowd. And, and so he says uh, to those who are under the law, or, or more specifically, he explains that these are the Jews. I became like a Jew. They were under the law. These are the ones who had the old covenant law. And, and I became as one under the law that I might win those who are under the law. Now, let's be careful. He wasn't saying, I'm exalting tradition. And he, he further develops this later when he says, I could become like one who's not under the law. He wasn't legalistic. He wasn't holding to the, the form of ritualism. But he says, you know what? I can enjoy the traditions of Jewishness in order to connect with Jewish people. That's not a big deal, because I want to gain them. I want to gain an audience with them that I might share Christ with them. Now, 
we also have to be careful, those of us who may like to be in a little bit more of a contemporary Christian environment, that we're not guilty of what is called blind iconoclasm. Blind you know, iconoclasm has to do with destroying idols. Nothing wrong with that. We need to destroy idols. Blind iconoclasm is just kind of says, well, let's just do away with anything and everything that is traditional whatsoever so that we're not tempted to worship. And Paul says, listen, it's okay for me to act a little bit Jewish, to act a little bit like I've got some religious background, because he did, in order to connect with them. You know, there are certain crowds in the world today that will say, uh, as a matter of fact, one pretty famous author said this, never sing a hymn that is over 10 years old. That you'll never reach the next generation if you ever sing a hymn that is over 10 years old. Well, you know, this morning, we sang a hymn that was much, much, much older than 10 years old. And I'm grateful that we can do those things to connect with people. There are those who would say, if you, if you want to reach the next generation, I was talking to one of our students about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, they would say, never wear a, a suit and tie to preach anymore. What you need to do, Pastor, and, and by the way, maybe next Sunday I'll do this, but uh, what you need is a little coffee table up here and a little stool and uh, wear you a t-shirt and blue jeans to preach in. Hey, listen, if that helps you connect with a certain audience, then great. But let's not be blind and, and just destroying everything that might be somewhat traditional in any way. Uh, no high church liturgy. No red prayers. We don't want any of that kind of stuff. That's blind iconoclasm. There might be a place because that will help us connect with a certain religious crowd, and we live in a fairly religious setting. But we don't stop there. Paul didn't just connect with a religious crowd. He wanted to connect with a non-religious crowd. So in verse 21, he says, To those who are without the law, as without the law. Now again, he avoided legalism. Paul connected with a non-religious crowd, those who had a secular mindset. In other words, we don't always have to have a sacred-sounding approach to everything that we do. Well, that's just... They used to say that the the last words of a dying church were, we've never done it that way before. And so we don't have to have a, a sacred feel or a sacred approach to everything that we do because... By and large, those who aren't part of the church don't really care how we've done church forever and ever and ever. And so we have to gain an audience with them as well. And so music may sound like that of popular culture. Now, I know that there are people that say, you know, I have a real hard time with, with music and, and worship songs that the, the sound has a lot of the sound of popular culture. I mean, some of you, I would never catch you at a Toby Mac concert. Let's just face it. Most of you probably would enjoy it, but, but some of you I would never catch at a Toby Mac concert. It just sounds too much like the popular culture. And you don't realize that some of the greatest, most sacred hymns of our past were written to tunes that were actually bar songs when they were originally written. But now we've made them churchy. And, you know, maybe a hundred years from now, uh, there will be a generation that says we're only doing Toby Mac songs in worship. <laughs> None of that new stuff. I believe the Lord's coming back before then. There's a uh, there, there's this mindset though that says it can't be a, a non sacred sounding approach. Paul says, "Listen, I can be non sacred sounding to those who don't have a sacred background. Not that it's an excuse. Now, be careful here before you run wild with this principle. Look at verse twenty one again. 
There's a parenthetical statement that says, be careful not being without the law toward God, but under law toward Christ. In other words, I'm not going to get in the flesh and do things that are totally carnal in order to connect with somebody. If the Apostle Paul were living today, he would say, I'm not saying go drink a Budweiser with your friends so that you might open up a door to witness to him. <laughs> he would say, you know, there are certain things that you just you don't compromise the, the spirit-filled life in order for there to be a connection. You can shed all the tradition and all those things that just sound overly sacred, the, the old-fashioned churchy feel, if you will, but don't get rid of biblical Christian standards in order to gain an audience. It's okay not to wear a suit and tie. It, it's okay not to do the sacred hymns every Sunday. It's, it's okay to, to be culturally relevant, but never, ever, ever compromise Scripture. Never, never compromise biblical standard in what you're doing. What is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, I, I'm learning my audience. I'm learning those I'm trying to communicate with. And folks, that's not just who's at Trinity today. We're thinking about everyone everywhere. We're thinking about the people who aren't here that we're trying to connect with. Paul says, if, being, if sounding religious works then I'm going to be religious in that setting. If sounding non-religious, because it's not about religion, it's about a relationship, then I'm going to do what works in that particular context. The statement there that reminds us not to compromise. Listen, if the music is sensual, then that's a compromise. If the music is uh, something that the words would instruct you to do something that is ungodly, then that is compromise. If somebody says, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I want to influence my, my next door neighbor, and, and he's invited me to go to Vegas and, and gamble with him for a weekend, so I'm just going to go do that so I'll gain an audience, that's, that's compromise. And so the parenthetical statement Paul gives there is, don't get involved with it. With the young ladies, when I was a youth pastor, it used to always be the missionary dating thing. I know, I know Pastor Robbie, he's not a Christian. But if I go out with him long enough, I think I can win him to Jesus. It's the missionary dating approach. And my response could have been deeply theological, but usually it was very practical. I would say, if you're really committed to win these fellows to Christ, why don't I see you going out with the ugly ones? fact of the matter is, those that can't get a date might be a lot quicker to come to church with you. Now, I'm not giving you an excuse, ladies, for missionary dating, or guys either. But, but we, we compromise our standards sometimes in order to connect with people, and that's not what Paul was doing. Paul was just saying, I can lay aside the religious sound, the religious feel, in order to connect with people. Or I can embrace it in order to connect with people whatever, any way you can, whatever works at the time. Then he goes on in verse 22 to say, to the weak I became as, as weak. The word weak has to do with uh, the lack of physical strength or prestige. Someone was considered weak when they were in a position where they had no power or influence. It might have been physical strength that they was out, or it might have been some kind of political strength or, or religious standing they had no prestige. Like as last week we looked at Jesus pointing uh, to, the, to the weak and the lame and, and the poor and the blind that we should go and, and minister to. Paul says, here's the key, verse 22. The second part there. I become all things. That's the key. Paul says, I'm willing to just simply meet people where they are. Paul wasn't trying to be someone that he wasn't. He was simply 
saying, I can relate. If you want to talk religion, let's talk religion. If you want to talk politics, Paul was willing to talk politics. At Mars Hill in Athens, he said, you want to talk philosophy? And this is students, this is why you need to know your stuff and be educated in every area. Some of you say, why do we ever need to know this stuff? You need to be educated in as many areas as you possibly can be because it creates more opportunities for you to connect with people where they are. He could talk with the philosophers at Mars Hill, no problem. Want to have a home Bible study? Paul said, I'll come lead your home Bible study. Street preaching? If it works, we'll do it. Paul was willing to try anything, anywhere, anyway, all things for all people, that by all possible means we might reach some. And here's the cool thing, and we'll wrap up with this third principle. We increase our involvement with a committed fellowship. We increase our involvement with a committed fellowship. Look at verse 23. He says, Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. That word partaker there is where we get our word fellowship. That I may share in it, that I might be a fellowshipper in it with you, that we might come together as a team and accomplish something great. Uh, there's a beautiful synergy there when we work together for the glory of God. Paul was saying, listen, this is why you exist as a church family. The reason you exist is for the sake of the gospel, that we might get this message to everyone everywhere. That's why we're here. Or else God would just rapture us on out of here. We're here to get the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone everywhere. And he says, and I want to share in it. I want to be part of your team. I want to share in it with you. That, that's the basis of our fellowship. Turn over to Philemon. It's a short little book hidden in the back of your New Testament. Come to... Let's see, I just turned right past it. Come to Hebrews and then turn back. And Philemon comes right before Hebrews. One chapter, verse 6. The Apostle Paul writing to his friend Philemon who understood how to have a house church, connect with people in his neighborhood. Paul said that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ. He's saying that, listen, your faith might be shared with your brothers and sisters as you share it with others. It's, it's all about fellowshipping together around the gospel, sharing the faith with one another and sharing the gospel. Listen to this. This is a rare original thought I had this week. Sharing your faith is as much about enjoying the mission together as it is explaining the message to the lost. Let me say that again. Sharing your faith is as much about enjoying the mission together as it is explaining the message to the lost. Say, so, well, if, we, if we're reaching everyone everywhere, and we've got such a, a diverse demographic in this area, as does about every area in the world today, well, we've got a diverse demographic. We're going to bring in people from here and there and everywhere, all kinds of people, different people, different races, different socioeconomic status, we're going to be a diverse church if we start really reaching our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we wonder, well, how much can we really have in common as, as the church grows? How much can we have in common? Where's that common fellowship? Paul says, listen, here's what we have in common. The gospel. That we're family in Jesus Christ. 
And, and that's all we need. And we can enjoy that. That can be a rich fellowship. That can be a sweet fellowship. I love that Buffalo Wild Wing commercial. They come up with good commercials, don't they? I love that commercial where they're celebrating and they're, they're having a good time. I hope this is the, the, the right restaurant. Uh, somebody will correct me later, right? But they're celebrating. They're having a good time. And they're watching the game on the big screen. And they're jumping up and down, and the two guys are doing the chest bumps and the high fives and the hugs and cheering their team on the victory. And then after a final embrace and it's time to walk out, one man's wife said, uh, by the way, who was, who was that man? And he said, I have no idea. I have no idea. They could rally together around sports, right? They could bond around sports. How much more should we, brothers and sisters in Christ, be able to celebrate? and gather, and rally, and hug, and high-five, and enjoy sharing the gospel with one another, and together sharing it with the lost. It'd be cool if we were doing family fun festival, right? We're out there having a good time, and then you look up, and, and uh, you know, here comes Jason from one direction, and uh, here comes Kent from another direction, and they just do a big chest bump right in the middle, and they, they, they go right back at Ministering to those around them. A worship team might try that next week. We don't know. We just celebrate, enjoy Jesus together. That's what the church is. We're fellowshipping around the gospel, sharing it with one another, sharing in it with one another, and that creates a contagious, joyful environment for sharing it with those who don't know Him. Let's not forget, we're here for those who are not here. Every member of the body of Christ has a place in that. Paul says, I want to, I want to be involved. There's a committed fellowship here. And then Paul's saying, I want, I want the church at Corinth, he wanted them to be a part of that committed fellowship. I would challenge every one of you. I know today ministry teams are meeting. Our ministry placement team is about to get busy. Everybody here, you're, you're a committed part of the fellowship. Maybe you say, well, I haven't joined yet. Maybe God's calling you to join today. You say, I want to be a committed part of the fellowship. I want to join the team. I want to be a part of it. Ministry placement team will help you find your place of service. Talk with them about it. Say, I'm ready to serve. I've got my sleeves rolled up, ready to go to work. Be a part of a contagious, excited team and minister together. And every ministry team, listen, whether you're on missions, which obviously talks about the gospel all the time, whether you're on property and grounds, sunlighters, whether you're working with children or youth, finance, every ministry team, I want to challenge you. Think about this. How can we get excited about reaching people with the gospel? Every ministry team. How can we get excited about reaching people with the gospel? Because if we're not asking that question, We'll get so busy, we want to enjoy the work we're doing. We'll forget why we're doing it. We're doing it for the sake of the gospel. It's all about the gospel. It's about reaching people with the gospel. And for those who know Him, sharing in that fellowship with one another. And I love it. I love it. I love being a part of this family. I love being a part of your family because of the gospel. Would you bow your heads with me?